So we've arrived at the start of Advent. I don't know what your week's been like, whether you've been frantically trying to work out where on earth can you put the elf, uh, whether you've been uh, consuming your entire Advent calendar already. Um, it's a funny time, isn't it? It's, this, it's a, a special time where we focus on, I suppose, the lead up to Christmas. And Advent as, a, as an actual thing, it kind of signifies this sense of rising anticipation that something special is going to happen. And uh, I don't know about you, the more kind of Christmases I go through, the more time I go through, it's really easy to take for granted the significance of the coming of Jesus. But at the start of this month, I thought it'd be really good for us to take a moment just to stop and think about that. And, uh, and really um, just remind ourselves of um, the significance, not, not just of Jesus' life, but of the way he chose to, uh, to arrive into the world. So a little bit of backstory. If you don't know kind of what happened before um, the New Testament, uh, obviously there's lots of stories in the Old Testament of uh, kind of kings coming and going, kings serving God, kings turning away from God. Um, and it's a real roller coaster of a relationship and a connection with God. But just before um, the kind of the birth of Jesus and, and the start of the New Testament, um, what, what they describe at the end of the Old Testament is, is this period where basically the entire world chose to turn its back on God. And for a period of 400 years, the world had no connection with him at all. So there was a complete disconnect. Um, and in essence, what historians look at and what kind of biblical scholars look at is that this was 400 years of silence from God because people didn't want anything to do with him. And then this significant thing happens in Bethlehem. Well, there's lots of lead up to it. There's, there's, uh, there's prophecies that foretell this happening and, and there's the anticipation of John the Baptist being born and, and conversations about who, um, who this baby that Mary uh, is having will be. Um, the fact that it's an immaculate conception, there's lots of amazing things about this. But in essence, what we know from the story is that when Jesus is born, 400 years of silence from God is broken by the crying of a baby. God re-announces himself back on the stage in the form of a baby crying. In our world, where we live, like us, he's a human like us. And I think that's the amazing thing, that, that God, before Jesus arrived, probably was, was quite a distant character. There's lots of inspiring stories in the Old Testament about people connecting with God. But actually, the way they talk about him is, is not like a father. But as Jesus arrives in the world that we live in and lives a life like we live and, um, and is like us, he's a human like us, then what we see is this, this amazing connection with us as a human race um, by God. And what it does is it changes the relationship between us and him. So Jesus' arrival kind of announces the change in the rules, that there's no uh, rules and regulations anymore that you need to um, fulfil in order to have a connection with God and keep God happy. Instead, it becomes about relationship. 
And this powerful shift means that it's no longer about sacrifice and about um, all of those kind of things. It's about uh, a living relationship um, with God. And as, uh, what Jesus shows as humans, we can have that. And the most amazing thing with the whole of Jesus's life is he shows us the potential of a human being. When they're fully connected with God, this is how they can function and this is what they can do. So looking at the person of Jesus, he becomes the greatest inspiration for the way we should live our lives. Because he didn't have superpowers, he didn't have special powers, he was just fully connected to God. And, and he is what it looks like when you can do that. So Jesus, um, his life and his, his arrival introduces us to God as our father. And that kind of depth of connection is grown um, in his arrival and in his, um, I suppose, in the way he lives his life. But what I really want us to focus on today is this whole thought of how he chose to arrive in the world. A few months back, I was working... Um, with a, a client, uh, so a national builders merchant, and uh, I had to go and visit some some um, construction sites. And um, whilst I was there, the health and safety person from this particular business was on site with us just to make sure that what we were filming was all um, was all in line with what they needed it to uh, to look like and following all the rules. Um, I got chatting with her whilst we were there, and I said, "Oh, what what?" where did you work before this? She said, oh, before this, I worked at Buckingham Palace. And I was like, no way. What were you doing there? She went, I was doing health and safety at Buckingham Palace. And I was like, man, how does that work? Health and safety at Buckingham Palace. She, she said, well, I was put in the, um, the kind of events team. So I would do all like the major events. And I was like, oh, did you do any, like anyone who would know? She, she said, yeah, um, I did William and Kate's wedding. I was the health and safety um, advisor for William and Kate's wedding. And I was like, no way. <laughs> this is amazing I said what was that like she said oh it was, it was just crazy the the depth and the the intensity um, that surrounds those kind of events those kind of ceremonies are uh, is huge she said she would find herself sat around a table with kind of um, heads of security from the government uh, from the military um, kind of private security firms um, as well as all of these other people who needed to have a voice and stuff just to make sure that all bases were covered and that all eventualities were, were considered um, and that it could run smoothly and I said oh, it must have been really strange then um, being in that world she said yeah it was it was it was a completely different environment to anything I'd ever done before um, but it was that thing when she talked about the, the level of intensity that surrounds any kind of royal ceremony or royal event. She just said it, it was insane at the level of detail and level of preparation that has gone into um, planning and putting on and making sure those things run properly. And when I think about that, that's what we identify as the level of effort that is put in and, and the preparation and the grandeur and the, the, um, the, the level of celebration that is, that is organised for a royal kind of ceremony, a royal visit or a royal appearance. But when we think about God and, and him kind of sending Jesus down to the earth, Jesus is often described as the king of kings and that he's the son of God. 
coming down onto the earth. His arrival is a million miles away from what a royal ceremony would be in our country. And it really made me think, actually, we learn so much about God when we, when we look at this stuff and look at how he chooses to do stuff. So just as there was uh, probably uh, hours and hours of meetings of preparation for William and Kate's wedding, when Jesus arrives, there's no fanfare. There's not even any, any room. <laughs> there's not even any room at the inn. Um, Jesus arrives in a stable and he's born to a refugee family. It's the most understated and underwhelming way to arrive on the earth. And I think sometimes we forget that that is often God's style. And I don't know whether it's because as we've got more experience with, with I don't know, meeting with God in different ways. We've got used to big gatherings of people. We've got used to uh, big presentations of who God is and what it looks like. And, and making a loud noise in order to get people's attention that this is worth listening to. When we think about the way God actually did it, it's really far away from the fanfare, from the slick presentation, from the, the shouting loud about it. That night in Bethlehem, in, in a, a, a kind of stable where no one normally sleeps, in a town they weren't even from, this refugee family, this immigrant family, um, bring into the world the Son of God. Were chosen. They were chosen to do that. So when we think about the significance of that, we learn so much about God in the fact that he often is the one working in the understated, the, the underwhelming, the behind the scenes, the humble, the servant-hearted way in the background. That's often who he is. And I think what this challenges in me is this desire to not clamour for the loud stuff to find God and the, the big things to find God, but actually begin to understand that we can find him here and now in all the different things that we're involved in, in the small things, in the behind the scenes, in the, the conversations that we have, in that, that generosity from that person or that act of kindness and act of service from that person. We can find God in those moments and he's, he's most likely to work in that way. So we need to learn to look for him in those small ways. But also we need to be prepared to operate in that way too. And that's what Jesus did. One of my favourite things about the life of Jesus, when you read through the Gospels and you read the accounts of the different things that he did, the common thread is that when anything big happens, he retreats. He goes away and finds somewhere to be by himself so he can silence the crowd and he can get back to reminding himself of who he is, what he's there to do, and, and just, I don't know, secure his, his identity and remind himself of, of, of all that stuff. And that's a, that's a kind of common um, practice in Jesus's life, retreat and, um, and, and kind of quiet and peace and, and space. 
And, and I think when, when we see that that's how Jesus works, he's not clamouring from the limelight. He's not running to the places where he'll get the most exposure. He's not trying to find the most effective way of telling kind of loads of people. When loads of people came, it was just because like, people had heard and people wanted to hear him. He didn't arrange those things. That was just the natural kind of flow of people desperate to hear what he had to say. But he would be as interested in the one conversation with one person as he would be speaking the Sermon on the, the, sermon on the Mount. So we've got to learn that, that God's way is often the quiet, understated, um, um, peaceful, uh, generous, humble, servant-hearted way of working. And do you know what? That's great news because we can all do that. Some of us will, will look at kind of speaking in front of loads of people and go, man, I could never do that. I'd hate that. That's not my personality. But do you know what? Quiet acts of service, behind the scenes, servant-hearted stuff. We can all do that. I read a really interesting quote by Dallas Willard. And this is what he said when he talked about Jesus. This is what he said. If Jesus were to come today as he did then, he could carry out his mission through almost any decent and useful occupation. He could be an accountant, a computer engineer, a bank clerk, an editor, doctor, waiter, teacher, farm worker, lab technician or construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair cars. In other words, if he were to come today, he could do very well, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your flat or house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects and live within your family, surroundings and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. Our human life, it turns out, is not destroyed by God's life but is fulfilled in it and in it alone. And that is true, isn't it? That Jesus could do everything that he did then in our situations, in our lives, in our surroundings, in our families, with our skills and abilities. And knowing that God often chooses to work in those ways, in those normal ways, those um, run-of-the-mill situations, those normal conversations, those relationships. God is probably most at work in those things. So the challenge for us is to, this year, as we go into Advent, celebrate the life and impact of Jesus, but also remember that what his life shows us is a picture of how God most likes to work. And that each of us are equipped through our connection with him and the inspiration that he is to us to be people who take that example and try and live it out every day in the things that we do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his life um, was an, the most amazing example for all of us. And I pray as we look at it that we wouldn't... Um, we wouldn't observe it and think, man, that is so unachievable for me. But God, instead, we would seek you and pursue you and we would find ways that we can begin to do what you're asking us to do in our lives. So God, open our eyes 
and help us to make a difference to the lives of the people around us, to be close to us. Amen. So uh, enjoy the lead up to Christmas. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we've got the kids Zoom next Sunday, which would be great. Um, but have a brilliant week and get in touch if you need anything. Take care.